0: Americans, this is the Urbane Cowboys podcast with Josiah Neely of R Street Institute and Doug McCullough of Lone Star Policy Institute. Good day.
1: Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Urbane Cowboys podcast. I'm Josiah Neely with the R Street Institute.
0: And I'm Doug McCullough with the Lone Star Policy Institute. Today, our guest is uh, Doug. Who is our guest today? Uh, It's just us today. It's just us
1: we uh, I, we did not forget to book a guest. I want everybody to be clear about that. You know, we may be incompetent, but we're not that incompetent. You know, normally we have a guest to talk about a particular t- topic, and that's great. Uh, but Doug and I both thought that what this podcast really needed more of was the two of us talking uh, so people could hear our glorious, beautiful voices. So I think we're going to try and do one that is maybe less focused on an individual thing and it's just us kind of going back and forth and asking each other questions and, and talking about things.
0: Right. Well, w- as far as the audience knows, it's actually us, but they don't really know it for sure because it could actually be our doppelgangers. <laughs> so, well, that that kind of leads me to another thought because uh, I, I think I, I don't want to name any particular names, but y- you have a certain delivery in the podcast the, it sort of reminds me a little bit of a maybe somebody with a vaudeville background. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, so, I, I am old but I'm not that old. <laughs> so well, you know so from your perspective, if, if, if there was going to be a movie about your life story, what actor would likely play you?
1: Okay, so uh, this is a good question. So the, you know many years ago, so this may my answer may sound a little strange, but I, I can back it up. So several years ago, there was on Facebook uh, back when people were still on Facebook and it was a a nice place and people were doing goofy things as opposed to like yelling at each other all the time. There was this thing where everybody was supposed to switch out their profile picture for a celebrity that looked like them. And I have, I have at various points in my life, people have told me that I have looked like various celebrities, not all of them flattering. I, I, a, a waitress once told me that I looked like a young Nicolas Cage, mm. uh, which, okay, that's fine. In in law school, uh, someone told me that I looked like Steve Buscemi, uh, which was an insult, and Lucille Ball, which is probably also an insult, maybe not as bad as Steve Buscemi, but <laughs> neither of those is really good. However, I was a- when we did this Facebook thing, I was able to find a picture of David Duchovny, That given that the angle and the lighting or whatever was kind of a spitting image for me, so I would I'm going to say that if they were they were going to do a a movie version of of me, uh, I would go with David Duchovny. He's maybe a little old, but uh, you know they've got makeup and CGI things now where they can make people look however. So so I don't know. How, How about you? When they do the movie version of the podcast, who do you want?
0: I, I like to I like to think of maybe Matt Damon, particularly the younger, fit version of say in the the Born uh, trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't always bear out. Like for instance, uh, uh, I was just this week was at the uh, uh, in Austin for a press conference for the Coalition for the Conservative Texas Budget. Yes, and I, and I felt I felt pretty good about myself until uh, our friend Vance Skin decided to send us the uh, uh, the footage from the from the press conference and it took me a while to actually have the nerve to look at myself what what I find really sad is when I actually see myself I don't really look that much like Matt Damon Um, but in my head I like to believe that I do
1: when I was in high school I remember we had to do these video projects and I did a one that had interviews with some of my fellow classmates and there was one guy who he was kind of like uh, scruffy looking I'll put it that way and when he came on the screen during the video project, he was in the class with me, and he kind of blurted out, "I look like that." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, we, we we've all been there, I think.
0: Yeah, my my son. As soon as I got home from uh, from Austin, my son was laughing at me. He said, uh, "You drove three hours each direction to appear for 30 seconds uh, to uh, call for the repeal of the uh, Marches tax." But that is that is. My commitment that I would actually that's, that's drive right. That's how hours.
1: That's how much you dislike the Texas margins tax is that's that right. six-hour drive for 30 seconds is nothing.
0: And, and all <laughs> I can say is Vanskian owes me one for this.
1: <laughs> Indeed. Indeed.
0: Well, if we're talking about public figures, another question I have for you. Who is the biggest jerk on the center right?
1: Who is the biggest jerk on the center right? Oh, gosh.
0: Clearly, we're well, not talking about Vance. It,
1: yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, well, Vance is very nice. I, I mean, it's uh, it's kind of tough because uh, obviously, you know, whoever this person is, if he's a big jerk, I don't I don't want him, like, being mean to me necessarily if I name him or, or whatnot.
0: <laughs> but... Um, and, and there's probably a good chance that if you actually said this person's name that we would edit it out. Considering that's exactly what happened in our very first episode,
1: right? Yes, yeah. I, I, I named the I named the big jerk, and, and uh, you edited it out. Yeah, this is this is. I will say, just uh, as kind of like a breaking the fourth wall thing for our our listeners. Repeatedly on this show, whenever I have said something that it, you know is uh, uh, perhaps ill advised or you know a little bit too fringy. Doug in his wisdom has edited it out so it does not make the final cut. So this is this is the censored dinner hour primetime version of uh of Josiah Neely that you're getting on this podcast. At some point maybe we'll do a, you know, uh Josiah after dark or Josiah
0: NSFW uncut
1: and uncensored, yeah. Well, you know,
0: we also we also have to edit occasionally for sound quality. We're having a really nice conversation with Ray Lehman, uh, but unfortunately, he decided to crush a beer can on his head right when he was <laughs> saying something really important. So we had to edit out like an entire minute of that segment.
1: Right. Yeah. There, there have been a couple of uh, episodes with uh, sound quality issues. I, I'm told that's uh, maybe not so surprising. For this it, may, business.
0: It, it may have to. It may have something to do with our budget, but also, right. uh, uh, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts on Ricochet, and uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just part of the natural vibe and feeling like you're part of the conversation. Because, uh, for instance, I was listening to one podcast recently with Kevin Williamson, and his dog starts barking in the background, and uh, they didn't bother to edit that out. So I figured the more that we just let right. uh, Kevin doesn't I, care. I, yeah, Kevin doesn't care.
1: Yeah, so, but you, well, you know, now that you mentioned Ricochet. Jay Nordlinger is like so mean and nasty. Uh, it's no, I'm I'm kidding.
0: He's you know. <laughs> Jay Nordlinger is actually one of my favorite people. Um, I probably back in like the probably at the advent of email used to have email exchanges with him, and I was yeah, me too. It. Actually, really, like, we we were the two people. Back, and uh,
1: yeah, back before social media, uh, it was actually fairly easy if you emailed people and were not a jerk and had something insightful to say. They would oftentimes write you back.
0: <laughs> right, right. And uh, I had the honor of meeting him last year at the uh, National Review Institute Buckley dinner. And uh, it's kind of funny because there's all these people here. There's you know Some of these uh, people associated with the National Review are fairly prominent. Um, they appear on Fox News and such. And when I when I realized somebody did a shout out to Jay in the in the audience, so as soon as the dinner's over, I beeline over to, to Jay because I really wanted to shake his hand before he could get away. And there was this little guy that uh, was kind of standing in my way and was impatient, and I I practically pushed him away. And as I'm walking past him, I realized that's John Stossel. But <laughs> I had I had to go make my way to Jay Norlinger.
1: the closest. You know, as long as we're as long as we're talking about like these sort of. Uh, obs- I don't want to say obscure celebrity exactly, but like, you know, political figures that some people might geek out o- over a while probably the vast majority of America is just watching uh, The Voice or whatnot and has no idea what's going on. But I-, I do remember one time I met Randy Barnett when I was in law school. He came to speak. And afterwards, I, I came up to him and I was talking to him. And it was one of those things where i I wanted to continue the conversation further, and so I said, Well, can't you know, uh could you give me your email address so I can email you some stuff? and just like the look on his face was like this kind of like restrained horror of you know it's it's the look that you get that that you give, which I'm sure this this has happened to me, it's happened to you, it happens to lots of people, you know the the kind of on the edge crazy person who approaches you at an event and just like you know really has this important thing to to be telling you about uh, that's going to revolutionize the world. It was that sort of look that he gave me. So I did not, I, I have not corresponded with uh, with Professor Barnett.
0: <laughs> that sounds a little bit like my my first uh, meeting with uh, Jonah Goldberg, who is one of my favorite modern writers. It was also at that same uh, Buckley dinner last year. I had other people that I had was uh, that were also from uh, from Texas who were at the event, and they insisted on going up and, and talking with Jonah. And I just, you know, I I didn't really want to impose, uh, but I guess once I was there, sort of the that that uh that desire to not impose just kind of completely fell away because what i did was i i started telling him uh you know this uh this podcast of yours the remnant i said you've got the entire wrong the wrong approach because you're way too young to think of yourself as a remnant you need to be you know much more forward thinking active and you know and so he ended up saying you're just poking the bear and i said i i admit it i'm kind of poking the bear well i felt bad enough about it that when i saw him on his uh his uh, book tour uh, appearing in Dallas uh, I, to make up for uh, poking the bear that evening, I uh, brought him a, a bottle of Balvini. So I probably will be seeing him again on uh, at the next Buckley uh, Award dinner, as well as a AEI uh, leadership summit. And so I'm wondering if I'm going to have to continue the uh, the tradition of bring paying alms every time I see him.
1: Yeah, well, he did. uh, If you thought The Remnant was too pessimistic, I mean, his new book is Suicide of the West, right? So (laughs) he obviously didn't listen to you uh, in terms of toning it down. Uh, So you mentioned that Jonah was uh, one of your favorite writers. And I know one of the things that we had talked about maybe discussing was some of the books that have influenced our thinking on politics and political philosophy and so on and such not. I have I have a couple of things that I thought of. I don't know if you have any anything uh, else besides the but besides Jonah that you would want to highlight there uh, for our listeners.
0: Oh sure sure. Um, for me I you know I kind of grew up uh, reading National Review. Uh, it, was, it was you know back in the old days before National Review online. Uh, And so I kind of grew up in that Buckley, Reagan, Goldwater tradition. And, um, you know, I think for me where I kind of formed my, you know, I guess you could say where I formed my own worldview, not to say it was original to me, but but sort of distilling it down and finding the writers that I really liked uh, is when I discovered uh, Friedrich Hayek. And just, you know, when I was in college, I just read everything I could possibly get my hands on. And I remember one time in college, uh, between semesters, I guess it was Christmas break, I go into a, an old Barnes & Nobles back when those existed. The uh, I, I think I brought like a stack of uh, Hayek and maybe some Milton Friedman books. And the cashier looked down at the stack of books very, very casually and goes, you know, we sell a lot of these at, uh, at between semesters, and so I think it was sort of detox from uh, from college of of reading some more classical liberal, uh, you might call it libertarian type of writers, but I think classical liberal is probably a little bit more accurate. But certainly uh, Friedrich Hayek was a huge influence for me, and then as I went to law school, I tried to um, you know find more constitutionalist uh, writers. So you mentioned Barnett, Randy Barnett was a big influence.
1: Ah, yeah, yeah. So I, I also, uh, the story of my political origins, uh, is a little unusual. I, I first got involved, got interested in politics in 1988, uh, in the, during the 1988 Republican presidential primary. And I, for, I was, so I was 10 years old, uh, maybe, yeah, I was 10 years old for reasons that I don't quite understand. I thought that Bob Dole was the guy who had played Scotty on Star Trek. (laughs) And so I became a big Bob Dole fan solely for that reason. It's not the best thing. So, but, you know, like, you know, in terms of like origins and principle, uh, maybe not. But so I became a big Bob Dole fan. And, and of course, Bob Dole did not win that race. But, you know, uh, if that was, if this was. If the Republican Party was the party of uh, of Scotty, then it, you know it was good enough for me. Uh, I did read. Uh, I, it was a little weird, you know, that like in junior high, I was I also had a subscription to National Review, and I would watch uh, uh, Dennis Prager, who is the radio host. He actually had a TV show way back then that I would watch, uh, which I don't believe I was the target demographic for that exactly. <laughs> but um, so it's a little bit. Difficult to cite books that have interested me that have really influenced me, just because the things they've been a little idiosyncratic. However, there are a couple that I can kind of point out that are in this realm. One, Thomas Sowell.
0: I was just about uh, to say, I should, I should <laughs> definitely have included Thomas Soul.
1: Yeah. So, uh, the Conflict of Visions, mm-hmm. I thought, was very good at breaking down. You know, like what are the difference. What are the differences in uh, worldview or outlook or temperament or however you want to call it uh, between conservatives and liberals or the left and the right? And Sol talks a lot about the constrained versus the unconstrained vision. To what extent human nature imposes limits on on how we can alter society and those sorts of things that you know I think are pretty important. The late great Justice Anton Scalia. Had a book, a matter of interpretation that set out it was basically kind of the ur-text of uh, originalism and textualism as a theory of constitutional interpretation. That was something that I read before I went to law school that greatly influenced me. And then uh, a third thing that I just would would cite is, and this is, this is a little little old, and it's it's only slightly political, perhaps, but there was a 19th century English. Catholic bishop and cardinal John Henry Newman, who was a very influential thinker and writer of the time, and he, you know, back in back in the 19th century, there were uh, seemed to be a lot of conflicts between the Catholic Church and uh, democracy or liberty, uh, these sorts of things. In fact, the the Pope uh, at the time uh, during the mid 19th century uh famously he released this document called the syllabus of errors which was just like a a list of things that other people had said that were you know to be condemned somehow and famously the the last one uh, uh, like there were 80 of these things that were just listed and the last one that was listed was and these are condemned propositions right so the, the last one that was listed was was uh it's acceptable for the roman pontiff to, I'm not going to get the words exactly right, but it's basically the Roman Pontiff can and should reconcile himself to progress, democracy, and modern civilization. You know, something like that. <laughs> so, so obviously, so when this came out uh, in England, it caused a, a big stir, and England sort of has a long political tradition of anti-Catholicism and viewing Catholicism as being. Uh, opposed to liberty and, you know, vaguely treasonous or whatever. And so John Henry Newman wrote this, it's called a a letter to the Duke of Norfolk, but it's basically just, I mean, it's a book length thing, which is basically, and the, the basic subject of it is how should religious and moral con- conscience influence a person's relationship to the state, right? So, to what extent, you know, does a person owe loyalty to the state and obedience to the state? And to what extent can he, from moral principle or whatever, disobey the, you know, the laws of the land or uh, the, you know, the orders of a higher authority or whatever. So despite the fact that it is from the 19th century, it's quite readable. (laughs) And, you know, there are a lot of things that even though that was a much different context, I think a lot of those issues kind of recur in every age. To what extent do we as individuals have a, have a right or a duty to stand apart and just not go along with whatever the, the state is saying?
0: Right, right. Well, I didn't, I didn't grow up Lutheran, but I went to a Lutheran high school. So uh, you know, I think along the lines of what you're saying, I think the
1: So we would have we would've burned you back in the days, so.
0: <laughs> right, right. Well put it this way, I think with the uh, growing up in a household where uh, we you know we, we we read Buckley and National Review and, and 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 the most extreme moments reading Ayn Rand, but then going <laughs> to a um, a Lutheran high school, I think I developed a sense of I'm I'm comfortable being being right alone. right? Um, yeah. you know, so <laughs> Um, I have a, you know, it's it's developed in me sort of a confidence of if I'm, you know, if I've done my intellectual investigation and I come to a conclusion, I, I certainly like to build a consensus around it, but that's sort of after the fact. Um, I'm not looking to uh, to others to make up my mind for me. I think I I think I have underestimated just how much of a Lutheran influence I've actually had until I started uh, recently following some, some Lutherans, some proud Lutherans on Twitter. And they keep reminding me how, how uh, independent minded they are. Thanks to their Lutheran upbringing. I thought, you know, there probably is something to that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, who are, who are the Lutherans that you follow on Twitter? If you don't. Uh...
0: Well, there's, there's a, there's a lady who is apparently at the death lawyer in Minnesota named Jennifer Gumble. Um, you know, she prides herself on being the death lawyer. I'm assuming that that means that she does probate. I'm hoping it doesn't mean that she actually induces death, Uh, but (laughs) but she's, she's a pretty interesting, uh, follow on Twitter. And uh, that was going to be one of the questions I had for you is, uh, who are, uh, who are some of your favorite people to follow on Twitter?
1: Oh gosh. So I do the, the one person that is coming to mind who's particularly Lutheran that I follow is, uh, Molly Hemingway. Some other folks, Ross Douthit.
0: By the way, since you mentioned um, Molly Hemingway, do yeah, we, do we yet know who funds the Federalist?
1: I uh, am sworn to secrecy. Uh, <laughs> I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't really say. Uh, but you're
0: mentioning. Uh, you're mentioning Ross. <laughs> yeah, so,
1: yeah. 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 Uh, so uh, Ross Douthit, Michael Brendan Doherty, now at National Review. There are a couple of uh folks who are uh they don't necessarily have a big public platform but who I think are really interesting one of them would be uh Will Wilson and he's he's a uh a startup guy in the tech field S- similarly Helen Andrews uh writes a lot for Claremont um but I don't and I I think she might be writing a book now I'm not sure mm. She used to be, I think, a little bit more prolific on Twitter than she has been lately. But we'll have to see. I don't know. And some of my favorite Twitter follows are Joyce Carol Oates and Mahmoud uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the former <laughs> the former register of Iran, who does these like. I mean, obviously, these are you know. I I follow them. I follow him ironically. Okay, so I just want to make clear, but he has like he he tweets about, in English about like Colin Kaepernick. He he had something the other day about how you know free speech is very important, and we can't be limiting free speech because we don't like ideas you know that are dangerous or you know whatever. But what? How about what about you? Who who would you say are your top top follows?
0: Yeah I I, I I actually, I, I, yeah, I I guess I probably should. Yeah, I guess I should have actually thought about this since I was planning to ask you the question. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh Scott Linscombe, I really enjoy reading his mm-hmm. stuff. Um, yeah. he's sort of a, a dog with a bone when it comes to free trade. Yeah. And, um, you know, which is also an issue that sort of near and dear to my heart. So, uh, it's, it's one that I find useful, but he's also just downright entertaining. Um, you know, there's a, I, I would say that, you know, there's, there's some pretty, some interesting people out there that don't have a lot of followers. I, I guess it's safe to throw their names out there. Uh, there's a, there's a cranky guy in Dallas that I enjoy, uh, uh poking, uh, named Ken Gardner. And there's also uh, this sort of semi-libertarian conservative uh, lady called the Factual Prep in Louisiana. The um, Factual Prep. Okay. Uh, that is sort of this strange dichotomy of commenting on uh, uh, sort of very preppy clothes that she seems to wear and dropping a lot of F-bombs. It just doesn't seem to go together, but that's what makes it so entertaining.
1: Well, yeah, there, there you go. What, what would Twitter be without uh, foul language?
0: <laughs> I have a question for you. Okay. So what's it like being right of center in Austin?
1: Actually, Austin, of course, has a reputation well-deserved as being a fairly liberal place, which it which it is. Uh, but there is also a decently large libertarian-ish community here. There's enough center-right folks here that... It's not really ever been too much of an issue, you know, like uh, plenty of folks that you can make friends with and so on and so forth
0: well, and and sort of an, as an as a testament to that, uh, this week, I was at the Reason Happy Hour, a host of Matt Welch of uh, Reason, and uh, they did a little happy hour in Austin and it was very, very well attended. And there's probably a few conservatives in the room that uh, snuck in that I don't wanna I don't wanna you know out them.
1: Yeah, and there's also people who may not have been at that event that are also you know around in the broader conservative movement. Ovic uh, we've had on the program is here. Husband and wife that both write for the Federalist John Daniel Davidson and uh, Meg Oprea. And, and there's some other folks, too. So there's particularly if you're talking about like professional conservatives or people in the movements in some way, there's a, a pretty good community here.
0: Well and you know this is somebody who's not in the movement they would they would absolutely reject the idea that they are part of a conservative or libertarian movement and they would say that they're not political. But at the reason event, there was somebody that I was looking for and thinking, I want to see if I can find this person uh, because they probably don't really look quite like their avatar, but they might sneak into the room.
1: Is uh, Sandra Bullock?
0: Uh, <laughs> no uh, that no. would have been interesting. Uh, David Burge. Um, oh,
1: yes, right. Mm-hmm. Iowa uh, Hawk.
0: Yeah. Iowa Hawk, yeah.
1: Yeah, I've met him a couple times. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah you can't – he does not allow people, anyone, to see what he really looks like. <laughs>
0: he might have been in the room. I really didn't know. Uh, but I was kind of looking around. I, you know, of course, I was looking for somebody that had a giant pipe, but nobody fit that description. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised that hasn't happened. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to make a baseless prediction. Okay. So what do you think about the uh, the Senate race between Ted Cruz and Beto O'Rourke? Who do you think is going to ultimately win?
1: Okay. I would bet no on Beto. I think, obviously, he's got a lot of fawning press coverage. And granted, some of the polling for him, he's not down by as much as a Democratic candidate typically is at this point in the cycle. But ultimately this is Texas is a pretty Republican state and I don't see him being able to close that deal particularly given that he uh, does not seem to be doing all that well with Hispanics and uh, the you know the Republicans just recently won a state Senate seat in a largely Hispanic district so it's not clear to me that that is a voting block that the Democrats can really uh, take take for granted or, or count on to to bring them through in any sort of uh, election I'm not a political prognosticator so you know that take that for what it's worth but that's just my sense of it I I, I don't know how about how about yourself
0: yeah you know I, I I definitely think you're right that it's closer than it normally would be I think that uh the you know the latest polls I had seen there's the sort of outlier poll of uh, Quinnipiac showing Ted Cruz ahead by Nine points, but if you factor that in with the other polls that you know show it at about a two percent race, uh, you know I, I think that I think that Cruz is probably ahead by a few points. But you know, also one of the the knocks on Cruz is that people and pe- members of the White House have, have said that Ted Cruz is not very likable. And it was about a week ago that Ted Cruz and Heidi Cruz were chased out of. A New York restaurant. And the uh, the group that was so proud of doing this posted that video and was all over social media. So if Ted Cruz needed a little help with likability and, and maybe being sympathetic, um, I think they just did him a favor because I think, uh, you know, getting chased out of a New York restaurant by a group of leftists probably plays well at home in Texas.
1: Uh, it probably does. And to the extent that I have an original insight on Ted Cruz, I would say that the thing that, that people often don't understand or realize or, or get about Cruz and the reaction to Cruz, maybe even sometimes is, you know, Senator Cruz, he's a big nerd, you know, (laughs) I mean, he, you know, uh, he he loves quoting the Simpsons and the uh, Princess Bride and and you know geeking out on stuff right and the Senate sometimes is can be a bit of a club for jocks right uh, <laughs> So I wonder if, to some extent, that is part of the dynamic that goes on there. I, I don't know. But um, obviously, chasing someone out of a restaurant because you don't like their politics seems like a generally unhealthy
0: trend, I would say. So Josiah, I have a question for you. Yep. If you were elected president, what would be the first thing that you would do on the day one as president? Hmm.
1: So I think what I would do is... In my inaugural address, I would tell everyone that they need to listen to the Urbane Cowboys podcast, available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and subscribe and leave uh, five-star ratings and reviews where appropriate.
0: I think that's a great answer, but I do have concerns that that's a constitutional violation of the Emoluments Clause. (laughs) I don't know. Emoluments? I don't even
1: know the meaning of the word. (laughs) Uh, seriously, I don't. I don't know what it means.